welcome everybody to Overdue Rentals, where we talk about films that maybe never got their fair share back when they first came out, or maybe they were even big award-winning hits, but nobody seems to talk about them anymore. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Mike Reyes. And today we are joined by filmmaker and good friend Victoria Negri. Her first Hello. film. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just saying hi. Get the energy up now. Get it going. It's wonderful. <laughs> Here we go. Turn off the cuffs. Her first film, Gold Star, is available right now on Amazon Prime. It's starring uh, herself and the amazing Robert Vaughn in what I believe was his final screen appearance. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Oh. Um, yeah, he was awesome. I could, we could do a whole podcast just about Robert Vaughn. Yeah, I think I'm ready for that too. <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah. And you're you're in development of your, of of a second feature now too, right? Yeah, my second feature is called Ultra, and um, David Lowry and uh, his team at Sailor Bear are executive producing. So I'm excited to work with them and to see Green Knight finally. <laughs> yeah. So, so Ooh. just one question off the bat: How did you get booked on this podcast? <laughs> I know Matt. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. All right, well, 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 then I, I take back my joke. Okay. <laughs> I love you, Matt. It's okay. I, I, Mike thinks I only know people from the streets. <laughs> I just think he knows Edgar Wright, and that's it. And <laughs> Edgar Wright and the Mail Brothers. This is, this is very true. But most importantly, because I think we're going to have a lot to talk about today. Today, we're talking about the 1990 film Jacob's Ladder, directed by Adrian Lynn, starring Tim Robbins. For those who have never seen it, absolutely see it be forewarned there will be some spoilers i think this time around uh, and this is you know, something so, you need to go in as cold as possible yeah go to i mean i i don't even want to give away the, the plot but well the generic plot is vietnam vet back from the war having visions let's leave it as that they made a remake recently which was we're not going to talk about that doesn't exist this is the original Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, I didn't even realize that there was a remake until I rewatched it and then was just doing research on it and was like, what? Well, that's, that's, that's funny. I'm going to bring up something later because that, that is, feeds into something, though, without talking about the remake per se. Oh, yeah. The whole story around that remake is, cr- well, most of the release is crazy because that was just yeah. off, yeah. off delayed, sort of, and it finally just dropped without any sort of fanfare. Can't imagine why. <laughs> exactly. But I want to know, what was your first, for both of you, what was your first contact with Jacob Slatter? Uh, my first contact with Jacob Slatter was watching it for the podcast because I had known of the film. Oh I had known God. of the film. And in some researching on a game that I hold near and dear to my heart, Silent Hill, I knew of the twist because so many people had drawn the parallels between the two things. Oh. But I had known of this because... I saw the trailers when I was a kid. Like, it's a Carlco movie, so any copy of Terminator 2 or uh, Total Recall, chances are there was going to be a trailer for this on there. Yeah. And as if, as if I wasn't already traumatized enough by the Terminator 2 trailer, this trailer was definitely, ah, I'm a kid, leave me alone. I just rewatched Terminator 2 also last week. <laughs> uh, certainly an, an overdue rental for, uh, for for anyone under the age of, of six. Um. So, yeah, I, I had known of Jacob's Ladder and some of the, the subject matter that it, that it dealt with, but I never got to sit down and watch it. Mm. And knowing the ending did nothing because it was still just watching this whole thing unfold and having that in the back of my mind, I forgot because it was just that engrossing. 
and yeah, that's uh, that's my first experience. I'll you know gush about it later. That's what we should do. Um, Victoria, you're next. My first, I, I I was definitely a teenager. I don't remember why. I think it was on TV, and I think it was one of those like. Oftentimes when I was growing up, so my mom's a big movie buff and she'd be like, you guys have to watch this. <laughs> so I think it was one of those moments, like you have to see this. Um, and that's the first time I watched it. And then I watched it like a week or two ago again, um, because it was a film I've been wanting to revisit for a while because I remembered the twist. I remembered everything that happened, but I was like, how did they pull that off? And yeah. how, it, now that I'm older, how will I uh, react to it? Um, so yeah, it was, it was really cool to see it again after it being a long time. But yeah, it was, it was probably from my mom sitting us down and being like, time to go to film school, kind of. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm kids. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny too, because I actually, thinking about it now, I mean, yes, I've seen it over the years here and there, but rewatching it, for this was the first time I had watched like the whole film in a long time. And I, and I did see it originally probably when it hit video. So I was had to be like 10 or 11 years old when I first saw the film. And again, I, this has come up many a time. I watched way too many movies I should have been watching at that age, but I was, I was encouraged as well by my, by my parents. Um, and it's funny thinking about that, even with knowing where it goes, maybe because I saw it so young and, Every so often I see videos on YouTube about people trying to break down parts of it and so on and so forth. I think, they, I think they go a little too deep and it was a lot more straightforward than I even remembered it being, honestly. It kind of told me things outright that I noticed this time watching it that back when I was younger, either I didn't pay attention to or thought maybe didn't matter. Everything uh, was Danny Aiello. Well, exactly. Especially <laughs> specifically his final scene. I mean, that's yeah. just like, hello. He is such a gift. Like he's he's just he was always a gift in general, but I feel like this is a very understated Danny Aiello performance because when you mention Danny Aiello you think maybe something like Moonstruck or or even you know if you're a little more avant-garde Hudson Hawk like basically gregarious. He's always got the laugh. He's always... Hudson Hawk is avant-garde? Well, uh, it is if you like it apparently. Okay. Right. Quirky. Quirky, yeah, quirky. Yeah. But this is very He's still warm and friendly, but you kind of, you would expect that character to have a sinister turn in something that's more conventional than this. Mm. And you would also expect him, he's just very grounded and, and so wonderful in this. Well, that's, let me ask you guys too, because something that I didn't think about also until we watching it now this time is, and again, we said spoilers you know, I think we're all going to be trying a little cryptic, even though it kind of is obvious, I think. Oh, as long as we can, because eventually at some point we're going to rip the Band-Aid off. Yeah, I, I, I kind of just want to say, there's one of the, there's a, literally they say it. They say it too times. much for my, for my thought process. I, I think they say it too many times, actually. Yeah, watching it now as like a, an adult human being, I'm like, whoa, this is much more obvious than I remember. Yeah. It doesn't well, it's specifically it that the palm reader at the, in, in the party scene is just like, oh, I wish they didn't say that now. Mm-hmm. He's dead, okay? Everybody, he's dead already. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, with that being said, here's my thought is, and again, especially since with Danny Aiello blowing up when he's picking up from the hospital, is Danny Aiello his vision of his father? Oh, elaborate, elaborate on that. Well, 
yeah. first of all, holding a chiropractor in such high regard is a little strange. And I understand he may have back problems and that may have been the case before the war, before everything. But Danny Aiello's reaction of picking him in the hospital is nonsensical. It makes no sense. And I'm wondering if that's because he envisions his father coming just like, how, could, how dare you hold him like this? How, the man got mugged and you didn't do anything? Even though he didn't say that, like that's the, I started to think that maybe that's the, the mindset of the vision he had of him. And so that he created this character based on his father. Because there's no, there's no discussion of his father whatsoever. I'm just pulling this out of thin air. But that reaction made me think about it. It, it makes me think in general, like what are all of, to make it broader too, what I love so much about this movie is what are our, what's our dream life like? And how do we, what are the characters within our dreams and why are they the way they are? And I think uh, Tim Robbins' character is clearly making all of these people amalgamations of like what he knew them to be in real life, but also like what he needs from them. Yep. And so maybe that's it. Like he needs a father figure and the chiropractor thing is no accident. Like that's somebody who straightens you out. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's so, it, yeah. so yeah but but it, it definitely goes to the thing that i love so much about this movie is that um the people in our dreams don't always make sense but they're 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 our idea of them uh and it's 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 us and them it's it's this it's it's a mix of everything it's uh so. well yeah they're all like ciphers for us to sort of deal with our our personal issues and you know going back to danny aiello's literally his dialogue where he's saying look they're demons if the, the these figures are demons if you're holding on to things from your life and they become angels that help you if you you just accept that it's it's your time and that's basically what we're watching in both people that he knew, family members of his uh, old war buddies. And then, you know, the character of Jezebel, who probably that's just some, that, that, that is his dream. That is his dream girl, who well, is also a nightmare. There is, the, there is the scene where he flushes back to being in bed with his wife when, when Macaulay Culkin's still alive. Macaulay Culkin plays his son who, who does die. Um, and he says, I had a horrible dream. I was married to that girl Jezebel, remember her. She was, you know, you met her at the Christmas party. Yeah. Now, again, knowing where we're that at, we don't know where that's because that's also in his fever dream when he's in the bathtub. And it's like, who knows if that was an actual full memory? And he did have that dream when he was alive, which is maybe why he's projecting it onto himself now. Huh. Um, I thought that was him shifting between two different sort of dream states because it's possible. like, you know, his son was alive. Uh, his, well, he had the three sons. And you know, it didn't look like it was, uh, he had that son before Vietnam, right? Or was yeah. that after Vietnam? Well, he yeah. died, I, I, it's implied that he died while he was away. Yeah. While he was at, yeah, while he was at war. Yeah. Because it looked still, contempt when he had that, when he was in bed with his wife, it looked contemporary to the sort of 80s, 90s timeframe mm. that he was in. Well, so, 70, because this, this place takes place in 75. Oh, see, I don't know how I missed that. Yeah, the, the film technically takes place in 1975 or 76. Oh, I missed that too, yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's, not, it's not current modern. It's five years after he left the war in 71. Okay, yeah, I, I missed that too. Dude, I'm gonna, now, now I'm, I can't- Rewatch it. With that in mind. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to back up and I'm sorry. Cause I'm getting off the philosophical talk here, which I don't want to do. Cause I have a lot more. We do want to talk about, but since you're talking about rewatching things, I have something that was a revelation when I watched it blew my mind, called my father, sent him a YouTube clip so he can watch it really quick. And I'm wondering if you guys noticed it either during watching the movie or in your uh, research after looking up stuff. Cause I did not know this up until last night and it flipped me out. I'm really they, excited right now. When I'm they not, put him in the bathtub. Yeah. And he's coming out of it. And there's that amazing shot as it pulls out from his eyes and he's, they're red and the tears are coming down. It's a doctor there sitting on the edge of the tub. He says something to the effect of, you're a lucky man, Jake. You have a lot of people above, a lot of people upstairs or whatever looking after you, right? Yeah. Anybody know who that was? Uh, yeah. It's Louis fucking Black. Yeah. What? Louis <laughs> Black. <laughs> That, there's a lot of people. That, no, there's a, a, right, a lot of people in the movie. I'm gonna, like, wait, wait, Mike, I'm going to let you get to this in a second. Because there's a lot of people, again, like Ving Rhames, a lot of people in the movie. That I didn't Eric Lasalle. What happened was I was looking up stuff after, and huh. it said, and I saw it, it said in the cast list, Lewis Black. And, and I, it was this picture. And I'm I, literally and I thought, looking at IMDb right now. Well, I thought maybe it was the remake. I'm like, no. Well, here's the other thing. When you look at IMDb, it claims Kyle Gass is in the movie as well. Some guy named Tony. I can't find him anywhere. I don't know. I saw that in the credit list too, and I I don't remember him. I mean, I'm wondering how old he was at this point. Yeah, I think yeah. he was he was like thirty. Wow. Yeah, this is from ninety. Yeah. Yeah, and he was born in sixty something. Oh wow! I didn't know Kyle Gass was that old. But yeah, that doctor is Lewis yeah. Black. And yeah. the thing is, I'm watching it. I did not realize it, and then I ran it back. And not only is it so obvious by looks and voice, I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> Oh yeah, and that whole moment where he's just lecturing Jake about uh, Jacob about you know the Starbucks across from the Starbucks. That's clear. that was a dead giveaway. <laughs> That's right. You're right. I forgot. It's a Starbucks across from the Starbucks. Work <laughs> <laughs> for my horse. I wouldn't have gotten through college. Okay, that's that. Yeah, that moment. I was I was quite uh, taken aback by the fact that yeah, L- Lewis Black out of fucking nowhere. I I that that didn't didn't see that. <laughs> it's, it's incredible but mike go ahead you because you were going to run down the other people in the film sorry and i i just had to get that out oh yeah you've got like eric lasalle uh bing rames in here uh Pruitt taylor vincent i believe is his yeah Pruitt taylor vince and and brian I brian i can't remember brian's last name brian Hen- henrik or something i can't remember his last name carrot everybody would see everybody yeah. knows them when they yeah. see him and then someone i really two people i really have to single out the late elizabeth pena i i still miss her and Amazing. she's just fantastic in this again another character where if they went with the stock version of this she would have been very one note and very just oh clearly she's the bad woman but it's like no she's another figure in his life that's trying to help him figure these things out and she's supportive yep and then matt craven who if you can get someone like matt craven who lays down exposition in a scene that well (laughs) you know you've done it right and you get away with you earn that exposition dump because that is a big expo dump towards the end of this movie and anyone else like if someone doesn't know how to do that you just derail a movie like this yeah. but, but also, just yeah matt craven besides his hair going gray now has the man aged i know not at all <laughs> don't think so there's a few people in hollywood that have yeah. not aged yeah Him, paul red and I was just talking with, uh, what's his face? Jared Leto. Uh, yeah. Hasn't, yeah. doesn't age. These people don't age. 
Jared Leto is very Nosferatu looking when you think about it. Also, that is probably what's preventing him from aging. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Morbius is his biopic. <laughs> That's right. Besides, besides, besides now, like, getting over the Lewis Black thing, because I had to get that out, because it's been killing me. I was like, I can't wait to talk about it. What, what amazes me about the movie now is, is that I remember watching it when I was younger. And yes, it's dark. It's messed up in so many ways. It's depressing in a lot of ways. But thinking about what's being said and what, what's, what's the ultimate goal, it's actually like a really bright movie in a way. It's so strange to think about it now, looking at it. I am mad at the way that this movie was marketed because it's the same thing that they did with Crimson Peak. We have to market it as spooky, as scary, as threatening, as horror. But it's, it's a horror movie of a different type. And it's psychological. It, yeah, it's psychological. It's the horrors of, you know, the old uh, conflict of human against human, what we do to each other. And it's based off of that whole little, uh, the, the title card that they put at the end saying that there was that drug that the government denies was used in Vietnam. And just you, like, you, they use that kernel and then just the collective trauma of Vietnam, which was still very much fresh in America's mind at that point. And they create this very heartbreaking, tender, bittersweet story that has horror elements. But you go back to that trailer and it's just very much paranoid thriller, poor Tim Robbins, the, the guy with the skin over his eyes with the needle. Like, I remember that shot. And then the whole, like, you're already dead. You can't go anywhere. Like, it's just... It's, it tells such a different story going to look at the marketing and then you sit down and watch this and that was another reason that it just took me aback I was it was heart felt yeah it goes back to like thinking about because I had heard about it before I watched it when I was a teenager and I remember like sitting down to watch it and, and thinking that it would be terrifying mm. uh, because of just what yeah the marketing that was out there about it but yeah I mean this is a film about somebody who comes to terms with some really intense stuff and it's about like the redemption of the spirit which um is really powerful that the last that last scene where you know he's essentially dying it's heartbreaking because you're like oh wow he accepted all this stuff and now he can finally pass it's oh so intense it's funny too because th there's two things that you're both making me think of. It's like because one, in so many ways, while it uses death and his ultimate ascension at the end as as as, as the metaphor at play, it really is also the idea of just being able, just accepting that you have to let things go, in a more general term. It's just saying like it's okay to let go. I mean, yes, there are certain things you're going to fight for, but there are certain things like you have to tell yourself, don't let it drag you down. It's okay. Uh, which I think is pretty incredible. But that being also said, I do think, not only do I think all those horrific visuals and the psychological screw-ups in this are so well done, but it's funny because there are two things. Like there was one... All growing up, the entire time, my brother would always talk about, out of all the things in the movie that freaked him out the most, it's when Elizabeth Pena just shows up at the table, like, anybody home? 
anybody in there? And her eyes are black the second time. That's what scared her most. And that wasn't even that big of like a, that wasn't meant to be like a jump or anything like that, but it was just so perfect. Yeah. And, and rewatching it, I also thought one of the most effective things beyond, again, everything being very effective, the train, the beginning as it's passing by with all those figures. And I love that. I yes. love that. The thing that affected me the most though was is when he's in the hospital and his real family is there. And there's this disembodied voice that just says like, stop mm-hmm. fooling yourself or something like that. I can't remember. And then he just starts crying. Oh my God, it was so incredible because you never see it. They don't need to show it to you. It's so perfect. And I'm not saying Adrian Lin's a bad director. He made a lot of amazing films and apparently he's making a new one I did not know about. Oh. And he's also somebody that at this point had only made a certain amount of films, but his entire filmography is, you know, sexual thrillers. Yeah, and I was going to mention that. While the, there is that some, dance scene? Yeah, well, mm-hmm. while that exists in the movie, which is also incredible, mm-hmm. what he did here needs to be praised like to the goddamn mountaintops. Oh, yeah. This is just so atypical of when you hear the name Adrian Lyne because literally the first two movies I think, that, well, first three are Flashdance, Fatal Attraction, and Unfaithful. And it's just, he was one of the pioneers of the erotic thriller. And then... Jacob Flatter is just sitting right there. And again, like it's this is a very unsensationalist movie, which is another reason I'm mad at those trailers because you just even just looking at the Vietnam scenes in the beginning, there is something that people have called out lately that I totally agree with. You always have like there's either Fortunate Son or Buffalo Springfield, like there's always the usual songs that are played like you'll play pop music to sort of like do shorthand it's like okay we're not i'm gonna show this scene for long nom and the song comes up you get that shorthand with these characters and you get the severity and the the scene setting of vietnam without any of that and i feel like it works so much better here because watching all of them just sort of joking around in that first scene it's it's just so nice to see them. Like it, it, it's like, oh yeah, Vietnam's hell, but these guys are busting each other's chops. But it's not, you know, they're not being too aggressive with each other. It's just, it's a nice calm before the storm, and then of course the storm hits pretty damn hard. <laughs> but I just like that this isn't. It's not cheap. Jacob Slatter, and I'm sure, you know, I'm. I wouldn't be surprised if the remake kind of goes that way. But this wasn't cheap. It wasn't exploitative. It wasn't just, ooh, horror. It's using the genre to deconstruct these very big feelings that people had and still have. I mean, it was a collective generational trauma. And sometimes the best way to get through that is through works like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, the, this film is the opposite of lazy. Like, it takes huge risks in completely disorienting the audience and along with you know as tim robbins completely just is is less and less in touch with what's going on and being grounded in his reality and i really respect the choices of like the jump between uh the women and what we were talking about before of like oh i i I just imagined i was with her um of saying to the audience we're going this way you come along um and that being said though it brings me to like we were saying oh it's so obvious what happened but it's even less like 
despite knowing, like ha having those lines that were made it extremely obvious, it still takes those huge risks of, of not having you, of losing audience members along the way of being frustrated. Like, well, what is the thread here? Hmm. What's actually going on? And I think it's a challenging movie in that, in that way. And I really like it. And I, I just want to watch more films like this where you can just, it makes me think of how in Lost Highway, all of a sudden, like halfway through, it's, just, it's now we're a different movie. <laughs> that yeah. was just a different movie um i love when someone can trust their audience like that yeah i think there's also this i don't know what it is i don't know if it's a, a mental block with people or or i should say film historians and film teachers i guess because if they're going to teach suspense they're going to teach um you know you know, using your camera angles right when it comes to thrillers and stuff like that, they're always just going to show you Polanski films and that's it. Where there were scenes in this, that again, that I did not remember how it played until I saw it, but like very specifically when he first goes to the uh, the VA hospital and there's that nurse that's like given the problem saying there's no doctor here by that name, you don't have your records. Like as he's approaching the window, there's like somebody leaning over in the window next to him and it's like this hand that comes over to tap the other person. And it just, it's so well just mapped out and 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 studied to the point where th th these were not mistakes somebody sat with these extras for 10 minutes blocking the scene making sure this is the way it looked and the camera had to be angled just right this needs to be studied more for how things should be done i just love the feeling i'm getting about talking about this movie with both of you i just love the feeling like it i, I feel like it just it, I like this movie even more getting to discuss it. And I'm so sad I ha I did not see this before, but it, it really is one of those movies where you bring your own psyche to it. And I kind of want to go and talk to my father about it because I think he's seen it. He didn't see action in Vietnam, but he was in the Marine Corps towards the tail end. And, you know, the, he always thanks the one thing he he loved giving Nixon is the fact that he never had to he thankfully never had to see action in Vietnam but he was if I remember correctly he was stationed in Okinawa towards the tail end and like he could have been there yeah and but he's you know knew people that were and I would love to talk to him and see how he felt about this movie yeah I think the way that the that, that makes me think of how this movie deals with political themes through a really uh both personal lens of using this character and what he's been through. And we talked about like the collective trauma and then also e expanding past that of, of breaking down, like, wait, what is trauma? What does it mean to experience trauma? And you mm -hmm. feel like nothing around you is what you recognize. You feel like a stranger, a stranger in your own environment. So, I think I think it's such a smart film for doing that because it's it's not hitting you over the head with that theme directly. It's doing it by completely dislodging this character from his reality. Um, yeah. And I just wonder, like, I don't. I wish more movies today would take those risks of of of. Um, and I want to see more stuff like this. Like I was just saying, like, what is the theme, and what are we? what are we talking about and doing it in a less overt way? Yeah. It's like, when is it okay to say you're not okay? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a, that's the big question nowadays, which it shouldn't, it should never be not okay. No, it shouldn't. And just again, 
the scariest thing about this movie is not only trauma, but the things that people can do to others. And just you, you look at those scenes with the VA and it's not that far off from probably where it still is today. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just, there's, there's these systems that are in place that are supposed to be helping. Oh, okay. Yes. The system is supposed to here. They're supposed to be helping people get better. And Matt, you just had like a- an I, I, I apologize because you're going to get upset because what I'm going to talk about is completely something different. Go ahead. Because you reminded me of, we forgot to mention the one actor who also is in the film, which is Jason Alexander. Yes, who is fantastic. <laughs> in- I was going to, yeah. He's yeah, just, the you're about the VA. I, he was, he's in the, the courthouse, not even the VA, but I was just thinking about the buildings. I'm like, oh my God, we forgot to mention Jason Alexander in the movie too. It's a really different <laughs> role for him, which is cool. Yeah, and again, t- tapping back to Adrian Lyne, you know, he had Stuart Pankin in Fatal Attraction as like this kind of scuzzy guy. And then you've got Jason Alexander in here playing against type as this lawyer who, he's not scum, but he's definitely a little more jaded, a little more hard-bitten, and then just the whole dismissal of everything, like something has scared the well, we, shit. We got we to yeah. remember, though, this is Jason Alexander before he was Jason Alexander. Well, yeah, this you is know? BLT, BLT commercial era Jason Alexander. I get that. <laughs> The cold stays cold, the hot stays hot, but Jason Alexander is still uh, a legend. I think it's also funny thinking about this because no matter what, people are going to go back, hopefully, and see it for the first time or reima- or or rediscover it. Uh, it's on but, HBO Max, folks. It's on HBO Max, but it's at it's the time those, of this recording. It's one of those films that I think pe- people are not going to remember. Also, some impact it had because, like, there are, there are there are so many things I can remember in modern times, like. After Clint Mansell's score for Requiem for Dream came out, every trailer had the. After the 300 uh, trailer came out, everybody was using Nine Inch Nails La Mer, you know? Jacob's Ladder was the very first time we ever saw that, you know, the head shaking back and forth That's really rapidly. So stuff. true. Yes. yes. Which ended up becoming all the tool videos and all this other stuff. It became like this popular thing. Jacob's Ladder started that. There's that was the first Kevin- time. Kevin Bacon movie horror film that like was, yes where they did that and I just I have this memory of like my sister being ho- so scared by it <laughs> but yeah there's so many so many movies that do that there are whole shots and camera angles that are stolen from this for Silent Hill because when he's in the hospital and he's seeing all those patients and like even right down to filming through grading and people just crawling around and even I well I think maybe in the commercials they use the sort of head shaking but there is just so much of that that makes it into that first game and plus the concept of shifting between two different worlds and the possibility that depending on what ending you get you're dead and this is just you working through your shit before you got to go through the gates yeah well i mean except nobody in silent hill is going through any gates from what i understand so i mean i don't know if i put silent hill on the list i think i have to Oh, you're talking about the you're talking about the I think you're talking about the video game. I'm talking about oh, most, the movie. I'm talking about both. Uh, yeah. Oh, the, I, think the movie pulled, nice I think the movie tried games. to pull as much as it can also from because Kojima. A terrifying game. Yeah, Kojima yeah. is very big on film, and you know he's, he he lives a lot, so I think a lot of that may have come originally from Jacob's Ladder as well for a, the video game, and then that, that translates into the movie. You bring your psyche to it, Matt. That's the key. <laughs> That's the key. I'm I'm still in awe. I'm I'm just really still in awe of this movie. I real I realized I did not realize you'd never saw. It. And the thing is, I should have known because Mike and I have a whole list, and the list of Victoria that we gave you to choose from leaves out the column where we said if we saw it or not. <laughs> it leaves oh, out our cool. obsessive fanboying where we'll leave notes. It's like 
wait, is that the original Fright Night or is that like the remake? Because I don't know about either. Or yeah, just like sometimes if it's just a, a hard agree, like knock it out of the park, it's like, yes, and like caps, multiple S's. It's like we, it's it's like an AOL chat room in that thing. Yeah, this is, this is a movie that, you know, again, I think plenty of people saw when they were younger, maybe forgot about it. That's why it doesn't get talked about. Again, the people do talk about it here and there. And that's where I get, this is why I was so amazed that it was a lot more clear and straightforward than what I thought it was when I was a kid. Because I recently, and I can't remember when, by recently, I mean in the past year, like during lockdown or whatever it may be, in a YouTube hole and seeing some guy, you know, like the explanation of Jacob's Ladder and just played. And I remember him going, I, I don't remember who it was and what was said specifically, but it was this whole thing about Tim Robbins trying to go over the guilt of him being responsible for his child's death, which he wasn't in any way whatsoever. I think whoever- did you know did, Jacob was a name from the Bible? They didn't watch it. Well, they didn't watch the, they didn't watch it clear or some of that, but like, I think people try to, and look, I, I jumped off the conversation with saying, is Danny Aiello a version of his father? But I think there are parts of it that people look too deeply into and that's what's so great about this is you don't have to. It's all there for you. And while it may be confusing for your first time seeing it by a certain point, it's very clear. Oh, yeah. No, just at the <sighs> dissection and criticism can sometimes hurt more than help. And again, just the, the I was riffing on the fact that there's that guy that's like, oh, did you know that the, the Lone Pines Mall was the Twin Pines Mall in Back to the Future? And it's... It, it, yeah. Even with a movie that's as recognized as that, you still got people that are picking up on things. And there's something I wanted to kind of ask you both. Why do you think Jacob's Ladder got forgotten? Because between being as good as it is and being in the era like, you know, the 80s, the 80s into the 90s was still very much a horror heavy sort of era. And, you know, Adrian Lyne is at the top of his game. Tim Robbins is on the rise. Why do you think people, why did this get lost in the shuffle? I was just thinking about this and it could be related to what, to this. I wonder if it's because so many people put emphasis on this twist when sure that's interesting about it, but that cheapened, I mean, I don't, I don't remember. I should have gone back and looked at trailers. I don't remember how it was marketed. I do remember, like I said, knowing it was a, a horror film, I should be terrified. And I think, I kind of think it has to do with the marketing. Like if you go into this wanting to have like a horror film that scares you in the ways of like the, uh, different like jump scares and uh, oh. that, that, that you can really follow what's happening every step of the way and you're more closed off. I think, I think that you might be, I think it's just an expectations thing of the, like the lore of this film and, and what people think about it but it feels like it yeah it kind of has gotten lost in the shuffle I brought it up to some people like oh I rewatched Jacob's Ladder and they're like oh yeah yes yeah that movie right every time um, I hear that title I just think of Jason Manzuka's on how did this get made and how he just loves <laughs> to throw that out as like a term for a twist and he's like oh it's a Jacob's Ladder but that but that's that, but that's what why I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle because I think people hear twist ending and they think that it'll just kind of not be good yeah I was just I was just thinking of other films where like if if I think there's going to be some cheap twist ending I kind of might not hmm. bother watching it so I think I think people dismiss it before they see it because of that yeah exactly what you said 
And now we've kind of, we have almost seen that sort of phenomena swing back around because I remember when Serenity came out, the Matthew McConaughey Anne Hathaway movie. Which I still haven't seen. I know the twist, but I haven't seen it. That was I haven't seen it either. That was one that made a lot of hay because of the twist. And I didn't, like, I wasn't sure how it was going to play. So, you know, I saw the movie. It's like, oh, well, that's a twist, okay. And then one of my editors is like, Oh, oh, wait, but there's Serenity. They're talking about the ending. Wait, Mike, you saw that. Is the, is the ending that crazy? I'm like, yeah, no, totally. He's like, well, why didn't you like tell us? I was like, I didn't know how it was going to play. <laughs> and another, to, to feed into Victoria's point of horror expectations with this film, this is still in the golden age of Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger sort of coming into the tail end of their, like they're in their golden years at that point before they got their big resurgence. So it really, really does suck. Point. Yeah, it really does suck when your studio or you're adjacent to the studio because I'm I'm not sure if this was Carl Co and TriStar, but I know that Carl Co and TriStar are like they were in this like a similar orbit as New Line, hmm. and Freddy's Dead was coming out around that time, or it may have been out like we were still in Freddy Mania. I, that I probably have- didn't help. Well, wait, Freddy's Dead came out in like 96, though, didn't it, or something? Or 95? Well, I thought Freddy's Dead was like 90. No, 91, because New really Nightmare was 94. Jesus. Um, I, I would have to say that I, I think a lot of it lays, though, in the fact that people clamped onto, again, more of the movie as a whole, minus what was being said at the end. And I think people found it too depressing. So I remember, I remember seeing a clip of, of, of Robert Ebert's review and like talking about, how, I mean, he liked it, but talking about how it's the most, you know, uh, strawful and just like mired feeling that pulls up from you by watching this. And it's very much a thing like Requiem for a Dream, you know, the greatest film I'll only watch ever once kind of thing where people see it they're amazed by it and they probably saw it when they were younger and maybe didn't understand as much as like we're talking about and they remember the twist so like you're saying and that's enough for them and they don't need to go back to to revisit it in their minds when they should again not only because of all the things we talked about as far as what it's really trying to say but also again just like i i, I remember almost all of those beautiful non-cgi visuals but seeing them again, are just, it's just mind blowing how good it, how good that movie looks. Just absolutely amazing. And I think people, I think people are, you know, like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to feel like that, or, or you know, even people. I think there are people who probably thinks it drag, think the movie drags. It's very much a similar thing to like, um, don't look now, where people are fascinated by the film, but they don't want to watch like the hours worth in between the middle where it's not giving them the specific answers. No, that's, I, I think it's, it, I, I'm surprised people think it drags because this is just shy of two hours and I feel like it's just- I don't know, I'm just fat. saying that's what I think they may think, I don't know. Yeah, and plus I, you just get that, the, the practical effects and on top of that, the grimy New York that people tend to not remember after the Disneyfication and the gentrification and just the big cleanup. Like I, sometimes I'll even, like I was just growing up, I, I was just born on like the tail end of all that, but I still remember like stories of New York, you know, New York's not that good of a place. And, you know, the, I remember riding in an elevator that looks like the one that he's riding in towards the beginning in his apartment building. Cause my yeah. grandmother lived in Brooklyn. 
and just it's it, it it's really is pseudo time capsule yeah the, the first the introduction to new york at the beginning of this movie in the subway is so terrifying also because you know anyone who's ridden the subway at night you get off the train it's an empty platform that alone yeah. is enough but then not being able to find your way out choosing to go on the tracks and like this is a series of bad decisions that are just gonna lead to not good and then a train of uh you know souls goes by so um it's kind of it's like riding the subway it's we're all just trapped uh, uh souls wanting to be released until we're above ground <laughs> we're all still on the new york subway right now as we talk yeah well let's also not forget that 1975 carroll garden slash bergen street wasn't what it is today i was laughing and... about that yeah i was like that's a great neighborhood now <laughs> I have another question, actually, I, I forget about, I forgot to ask you guys about, because it is obvious, because you're Mike, you're talking about Matt Craven's exposition dump at the end. That is what happened to them. But how does Jacob know that? Because this is still in his mind. And this is him from being gutted to dying. Is it something that maybe he came in and told him in the tent so he knew? Is it just they had to tell us and so they told us and it's you know you don't have to question it i kind of think it's his mind giving it, it sort of putting him more at peace that his death may not have been his fault or anyone's fault really it may have been him dealing with the fact that one of his own squad mates was the person that stabbed him so you're saying it maybe was just that part was true but the rest of it with the with the latter may have not actually been true he may have made that up I think it's open to interpretation and it may have just been something that they heard on the fringe hmm. and it was just a theory that really stuck with him. Hmm. Especially with what he was seeing in the men like right before, like before he goes into the woods, like he sees these guys convulsing and, and spitting up blood and all this. And it's, it could just be a junk drawer of his psyche assembling itself in the best possible solution that will give him peace. Mm. yeah i i agree and then it makes me go down this strange path of like what happens to the brain and consciousness right before we die <laughs> as i'm laughing uh. as i'm laughing like a, a psycho <laughs> um yeah I, 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 <laughs> I think it's uh yeah just grasping at something for peace because it's that battle between like the physical body shutting like it's about there's hardly any time left and then what can I piece together to be okay with this mm -hmm. or what answers can I have? So, but I think it can, yeah, definitely be open for interpretation because of that. Cause he's an unreliable narrator. Yeah. So true. I mean, I, I, in my mind watching it, even now, I always thought in my head that it was an experiment. That it really was, but I, I, you know, I don't know why I've always convinced myself of that. It might just be what we're used to and the fact that we know that even though it wasn't technically an experiment, there were all these Vietnam vets that were affected by Agent Orange. Yeah. And that just kind of really fits that sort of narrative, which was, again, something that people were really talking about in the 80s and then going into the 90s because then Gulf War Syndrome comes up and 
you know, any, but pretty much anything Desert Storm was compared to Vietnam because that was the last huge conflict we were in. And you just heard it in the language. You, it, it, you heard it in everything. Like George Carlin had that whole bit in Jammin' in New York where he's talking about how the messaging of the Iraq war, the first Iraq war, was very much a response to losing like basically losing in Vietnam when it's like we never stood a chance yeah. against the people that were that were schooled in insurrection for centuries. Mm. I, I also, you know, I, I, I keep thinking about more things too, uh, you know, and I'm sorry if this changes the subjects a little bit. It doesn't change the subject completely, but for as, for as, clear and straightforward they are again with Danny Aiello's final speech about what's really going on it is great that they leave the movie on one final sentence that does wrap it up is you know he fought like hell but he's at peace now and it's just like there you go just in case you missed it up until then <laughs> there we go and plus just the power of that stark final shot where they stay a little longer than most other movies would have because I'm just watching this and you would think, okay, three, five seconds tops maybe, but it's like 30 to 45 seconds maybe, if not longer, where you see that hospital, he's dead there, and it's just, everything moved on. Yeah, it's taking us outside of, because the whole narrative up to that point was inside happening in him, so it's like removing us from, from we're, we're seeing the movie from the outside of it in a way. Um, yeah, we're back to reality in that show. Yeah, it's really jarring and upsetting, but uh, great, great. <laughs> you know, also, I, I again, I just keep remembering things now, too, because I remember, wa again, watching, I was watching just last night again, and I remember as they're putting him in the bathtub and they're throwing the ice in, I actually started tearing up because, only because, I had 104 fever when I was, like, 13, and they had to throw me in a bathtub of ice. And all of a sudden, I just like flipped myself back into it, you know. And I wasn't wasn't like him; it was completely different. But, yeah, but still, it it just starts messing with you, like you know, because as fantastical and delusional as what he's seeing in the film becomes, it's strange how you could even connect yourself to that a little bit, even if you've never experienced it to the to the full extent, because even though, again, these things were really, really horrific, I could totally see anybody suffering from being, even if it's just in real life, this delusional, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's, it's a very realistic journey that just happens to have, again, hallucinatory aspects and just these horror tropes, but it's stuff that's rooted in his own mind and stuff that he's reading like yeah. the fact that he's looking through all these religious texts to try and figure out what's going on and then even the scene in the where he's talking to his friend in the bar where he's like i walk around with this thing the whole time it doesn't help you, you again you keep reminding me of things too because as a kid not only did i not have the internet when this milk film came out to check it up on but i the movie starts and automatically i'm like oh right wait what is, what is he reading on the train albert camus the stranger all right, let me look up some stuff on The Stranger that I may have not known about to now yeah. piece in together where this is fitting into it. I'm like, oh my God. Very existentialist absurdism. Now my brain was <laughs> spiraling about like 
childhood things with me and yeah. I'm like I know I never had 104 degree fever but um no during that scene it was funny I paused it at one point uh to get like water or something and uh it was paused on like a horrific image of Tim Robbins face and I was like this guy in this movie um and then yeah and it made me think like he would never you can't this movie would be I wonder about the remake actually because I don't think yeah, you I think can I make watch this movie in this way now it's going to be a lot of CGI crap, I'm sure. I'll watch it now. I'm actually going to probably put it on after this just to see. I'm curious. It's on Netflix. You want to watch it? Yeah, I'm really curious. You know, that's another funny thing that that um, you made me just think about. Now all of a sudden I forgot what it was. Oh, Someone like Mike Flanagan could do this. In that same sort of wheelhouse where it's like someone that understands the sort of high wire act between what how much do i scare people and how much do i allow them to feel i'm gonna i'm gonna say something strange because i think they're they've gone too far to the other side of it but i think if you want to if you want to actually get it done right let robert eggers do it or ari aster i can't argue that yeah i think ari aster would kill this um well, I'm afraid he'd take yeah. it too far out, though. That's what that's my that's my fear about Arias. I think there's got to be a part of this that is a little more grounded than parts of his films can be. But I think visually, he'd be the guy to do it. I I agree with Astor over Eggers. Eggers is the one that kind of dives more into the absurd angles. Yeah. Especially something like The Lighthouse versus you go into something like Hereditary. It does tap into the supernatural, and obviously that film is in that realm but i feel like he would be able to maintain maintain that sense of dread hmm. through the whole thing and not sacrifice the actual emotional stakes for it i i also think it's funny going back to your comment victoria about tim robbins when you had a pause on his face just saying this guy you know i i don't know if you noticed but i keep forgetting that i give people this list and i accidentally left in the note when I wrote on this film saying, damn you, 90s Tim Robbins, you were too great. Right, I, I saw that. I, I'm so happy you brought that up. Yeah, explain that. <laughs> well, I have- You have so many of his movies. I have that. so many Tim Robbins films on there. Like my top one is I really, I want, I tried to get him. They said he was too busy right now because I want to talk about Bob Roberts with him. And then I'm like, then I realized the player was on there. <clears throat> then, I, then, I, then I realized, I can't remember what's after that, but there was all these things to like, even to the point where I even listed Jacob Slatter. And I'm like, how, oh my God, the guy in the 90s was just everywhere and everything just, even before the 90s, I think Tapeheads is on the list too somewhere. Yeah. Oh, I love Tapeheads. I haven't and seen Tapeheads. It is, I still don't remember how I saw it because slight diversion with that, I remembered first hearing about it when it first went to DVD. Like it was one of those Anchor Bay, like, five bucks on DVD things, and I wish I bought it then, because it's now like 40-something. I don't think it ever went to Blu-ray. Oh, I, I saw that thing on VHS. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> not, I, trying, I, not, I, trying to, <laughs> not trying to like outdo you or that, but that's one of those things where like, yeah, being a kid in the 90s, going to Blockbuster, loving yeah. all these Tim Robbins films I've seen, they say, oh, Tim Robbins, John Cusack, something that I've never seen before? Let me get that. Yeah. That's exactly what got me when I, I saw the DVD cover, because it was him and John Cusack. It's like, whoa, these guys did movies together. I didn't know that. And I saw it on cable like a couple years later and loved that. 
Cadillac but, Man. That's the other one. Cadillac Man. Jesus Cadillac Christ. Oh. <laughs> There's so many. How long until we put Howard the Duck on this? Howard list? the Duck. I've been putting that off forever. How about we put Howard the Duck on there and get it over? <laughs> Cadillac Man is that film that everybody like, so like, ah, oh, yeah, it's all right. Two star. I love that movie to death, but we'll talk about that another time because that is on the list. We're yeah. going to talk about Cadillac Man. But it's just weird how the it's just weird how that list works out sometimes. Like we have pretty almost all of John Emile's films on. It's there. a great yeah. list. I I picked Jacob's Ladder because it was fresh and I've been like thinking about it a lot and just fascinated by it. But yeah, I could have picked. Uh, I was like, this is a wellspring of <laughs> awesome films. I keep it. I added a few more. I added one today actually because <laughs> not only did I forget about it for a while, but there's a movie coming. I got the list of. Um, I can't remember who somebody's summer list of the films they're handling, and there's this movie, and I read the description. I'm like, wait a second, that's making Mr. Right with John Malkovich. I'm like, all right, making Mr. Right onto the list because I totally forgot about the film. I used to love it all the time, and that's a movie. Either of you see Making Mr. Right? No. Heard of it? Certainly heard of it. That was another one that I would always see the box art at the VH at the video store. But as a kid. I didn't know what I was getting from a blonde John Malkovich pot. The ending of that movie is both amazing, but also like, I can't believe they did that. And I won't say, I won't say anything about it. Uh-oh. I believe it at that. <laughs> I, I, love, that. I love the ending wow. of that movie. I can't believe they did that in any year, whether it be in the past or the future, that that's the ending that they came up with. What movie's coming up that made you think of that? I had to, hold on. Talk amongst yourself, and I'll, I'll get. I'll bring it up, and I'll tell you. What, yeah, I'll tell you the I've been wanting to say something because Mike, what you what you brought up a few times about like blockbuster and seeing the cover. I could talk for like five hours about nostalgic connections to cover like VHS covers in blockbuster and seeing them. And some of them, I'd be like six years old, and I knew I wouldn't be allowed to see it, but the cover stuck with me. Like I remember seeing the <laughs> Silence of the Lambs box and being like what is this movie why can't i can't watch this but there's like um it has eyes and it's a moth and like it just seeing the the mystery around movies and seeing like also just seeing if all of them are taken out and you're like oh it must be amazing there's none there like that (laughs) that all of that all of that I there is a video I need to find and share with you guys because there was a whole dissection of, uh, you just made me think of this, Victoria, horror box art and how it was always, almost always that was the genre with the most striking box art that would pull people in and pull minds in. Like, even if it wasn't stuff that was in the movie, it was just something that was outrageous enough that it would reel you in. Remember the leprechaun box too? I've never, I still haven't seen it, but I remember that box. That, oh, it's goofy as well, shit. Yeah, I just remember the box though. It's funny because when I was a kid and I'm talking about, you know, I guess five, six years old, I would always go to the video store and this was before Blockbuster. It was less, I can't remember what Les called the store, but it was Les's video store. That's what we called it because we knew Les oh. who owned it. And he'd always have all the way in the top shelf, the Evil Ted 2 box, which was the skull with the eyes looking at you. And I remember constantly looking at that going like, oh my God, oh my God. And then when I was like 10 or 11 years old, my father's like, you got to see this movie. And I saw the movie and I was obsessed with it. I still didn't know that that was the box until I saw it after. I'm like, oh my God, that box that scared me as a kid, that was Evil Ted 2? Oh my God. (laughs) They hung that art in the shop right. 
where they used to have the video store. There was, I think it was a ShopRite or one of the video stores that I went to as a kid. They hung that art and that stuck with me. That's messed up, but awesome. <laughs> but anyway, you know, Jacob's Ladder. Uh, <laughs> apparently, folks, it's not as creepy as you would expect. Go well, no, the- no, whoa, whoa, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Oh, 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 oh. I'm not I think it, it is creepy. Oh, it's creepier than many people should expect, and I think it should be creepy. But oh, I yeah. think it is a lot more ultimately at the end of the day. It's not as depressing as you think. It's more realistic. It's definitely de- it's it's depressing, but it's not it's, it's all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up. I'm gonna back up. It's it's jarring and it's psychological uh depiction of trauma and what we do to destroy each other. <laughs> I want I want to make a comparison to something to hopefully illustrate this picture to to close up this conversation. Because I think just because something overall is depressing and dark doesn't mean what it's trying to say is not light and more not it's not cheerful but um optimistic. And I'll use the example of Everybody will always talk about all of Radiohead's music as being depressing for some reason or something like that. And it's almost the, I don't know how well you guys know Radiohead, but they have the the song Pyramid Song. And, you know, it's all these lyrics about, you know, diving into the sea, seeing all my lovers, seeing all these people who I, who, you know, are gone, you know, and and, and just kind of being at the bottom of the ocean. Um, But at the end of the day, there was nothing to fear at all. It was okay, it was calm. It's not a depressing song. It sounds slow, it sounds downbeat. It talks about things that you may think are depressing, but what it's trying to say is much more optimistic. I love conversations like this. I and just, that, I, this has been so much fun. Same. Victoria, thank you for joining to talk to Thanks us about it. Thanks for having me on and for letting me pick the movie. It's awesome. Come back on our show. I'd love to come yeah, mark back. Mark off some other ones you want to talk about so we know. I'll do it. Yeah, I'd love to. It's super fun. <laughs> I love guest picks. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, where, where can people find you, though, if they need to find you? Oh, um, uh, in, I'm on Instagram, Victoria Negri. I'm on Twitter. Uh, my original Twitter got hacked, so I had to start a new one. So it's frustrating. So it's Victoria underscore underscore Negri on Twitter. I'm rebuilding from scratch there but but follow me i'm on both of those things or uh yeah those that's the best way for sure there you go everybody search it out stay tuned for her next feature yes please hopefully we'll be shooting it soon stupid pandemic (laughs) (laughs) and of course do not forget to cross off jacob's ladder off of your overdue rentals list thank you victoria so much for joining us fantastic to have you fantastic to talk to somebody about Jacob's Ladder and to introduce it to you, Michael. Yes, and I couldn't think of two better, well, I couldn't think of two better people. Well, at the moment, I couldn't think of two better people. <laughs> I, I mean, my, if my father introduced me to it, that is obviously a better person to introduce me to this. Or if Tim Robbins came up with a copy and was like, kid, have you seen the 1990 film Jacob's Ladder? I'm a Academy Award winner, Tim Robbins. I think you should uh, sit down. But yeah, um, uh, Victoria is awesome. That was a fun meeting. I liked being introduced to her and I liked being introduced to this film. And I, you know, a lot of what she said, I'm just right there in the pipe where it's sad that this type of movie probably, it would, 
take there would be a lot this would not be a studio movie this would be an independent it film. Sh- well, or should be or like i think and again i don't mean to harp on it so much but there's something about even if somebody did the story right and laid it out it's one of those things that somebody's going to push and i'm not saying something pushes because it's going to happen with everything for a good reason that they're going to use cgi and not less practical effects nowadays but i think somebody's going to go too heavy on it. it's probably what happens in this remake that I am going, I think I'm going to watch, even though I told said I never would, because now I'm I interested. But it's something that, by the way, something I didn't bring up, which I didn't realize. And also in doing research for this, I did not realize that they also remade Ghost. Wait, I remember there was a Broadway musical, but I don't remember a remake. Yeah, and I think, I, I can't remember now. I have to look it up. I want to say maybe it was actually a Korean film or something. Uh, oh, I, I would believe that because that is something that's happened, especially uh, that's something that's happened with uh, in recent decades. Like they'll, you'll see foreign markets remaking movies. Well, the reason the reason I found out about it actually, and I'll tell you why, because uh, another thing that um, is because you want to do a ghost episode. Yeah, no. The other thing that we actually forgot to bring up in the um, I'm actually going to pull this up before I say it because I don't want to screw up any specifics. Um, but the one thing that we didn't talk about is it was written by Bruce Joel Rubin, right. who also wrote the original Ghost. Yeah. Um, and when I was looking up some stuff for him, I all of a sudden saw, like, wait, he wrote Ghost 20, was, let me see what it is. I'm pulling it up right now. I apologize. He did the, Ghost the Music. 2010, based on the screenplay. Uh, let's see, here we go. Um, a man tries to solve his lover's murder by communicating with her spirit through the help of a medium. Uh, it was directed by Taro Otani. Uh, it looks like it was actually Japanese. Well, yeah, it looks like it was Japanese, not Korean. Hold on, I got us. There's actually all of a sudden. All, yeah, well, actually, no. It was a co- it was it was a, it was a co Korean Japanese production. Oh. I'm seeing here he also co-wrote Deep Impact, which is a movie that I still have a, a healthy love for. Time Traveler's Wife, he wrote. The last Mimsy, Stuart Little 2. Uh, Deadly, Deadly Friend. Friend. I've wanted to see Deadly Friend for so long because all I know is the concept. And oh, I, 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 I saw it, but I haven't seen it since like it first came out. Kind of thing. Well, I remember it apparently got really screwed in how they cut the film. I, I can't remember it that well, honestly. Remember, I remember Christy Swanson's in it. And after that, I mean, I remember the premise and watching it, but I don't remember much beyond that. But I would say, if we, if we ever got Christy Swanson on here, I would say Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> you know what? It's inter- That's an interesting th- thought, but we'll talk about that another time. Yeah, another because, time, again, another place. Jacob's Ladder, it's a film that probably everybody's heard of. Even the original I'm talking about, too. And yeah. if they haven't, I don't know why. And if you've seen the remake and said, oh, I know what's going to happen in the original at least, and I even like the remake or I love the remake, I see the original anyway. Because I guarantee you, what they presented there is going to blow everybody away. Unless you really like are really terrified of those things and can't watch them. See it yeah. anyway. I don't care. It's important. Again now, everybody, go. Go. See Jacob's Ladder. See it again if you saw it once. And don't remember it that well, or even if you remember it, you're not going to remember it the same way. I guarantee it. There's no way you can, unless it's one of those movies. Unless it's your favorite movie and you watch it all the time, 
if you're comfortable with sitting the kids around it, how sit there, just tell them you've gotta see this and then sit them on the couch. Plop. Watch. Michael, where can everybody find us? Oh, well, that's a good question. Uh, if you're a Twitter user, you can find us at Rentals Overdue. If you're a Facebook user, you can find us at Overdue Rentals. You can find us on Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show. But also, if you want to email us and tell us your own Overdue Rental, please email us at OverdueRentals at gmail.com. But also, don't forget to like, subscribe, tell everybody about the podcast, because frankly, much like an Overdue Rental, you should share this with your friends and tell them you gotta hear it. And just look at Lewis Black and them. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Just that, you know what? Send us your, send us your Lewis Black reactions to his performance in this film when you watch it. You know what? Send us the movie that has somebody in it that was, nobody realized was there. And I'm not talking about their big star and he's a cameo. I don't want to see the Matt Damon things here and there. I'm talking about somebody before everybody knew who they were all of a sudden there and nobody recognized it until now and everybody forgets. Send us that movie. I want to know. Like Jean-Claude Van Damme in Breakin'. And, and Breakin' too? No. I think he was just in Breakin'. I don't know. Blow by. Blow by. <laughs> <laughs>